Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. What a fun topic. I love talking about mistakes. Oh, me too. Because so many of us are making them accidentally and they can make such a big difference between feeling amazing as you go about your day and feeling not so great. Mm, Yes. And I love me a good myth bust because I think on the other side of it is freedom and I love freedom. I just (laughs) think it's great. So let's just dive right in. Let's let's start with mm. um, the first one that, and these are in no particular order, FYI, but mm. what's the first one that you maybe wanted to pop on the radar for us? Mm. So one of the big ones I see is people who are not eating enough. So they are under eating according to their biological needs, their lifestyle, their level of activity, maybe their health goals. and This is across the board generally, but in particular, when I look at the macros, and I'm sure you see the same thing, Nat, the thing that is often missing the most or most underrepresented is protein. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's lots of reasons for that. And I find most people are doing their best and trying to make really great choices. And what I commonly find actually with clients who are doing this the quality of the food that they're choosing is amazing and they think they're doing the right things, but they're actually falling really short. And it's very easy to do. I'll give you a couple of examples. Like thinking about myself, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but you know, as someone who incurred quite a bit of damage from toxic mold and inflammation and breast implants and whose nervous system was really dysregulated and the cortisol was out. I actually did a nutritional audit on myself at the beginning of the year. It had been a long time since I've really looked at it that closely because I'd had, you know, bigger health challenges to worry about. And I was horrified to see that I was eating roughly 1,200, maybe up to 1,400 calories a day. And that wasn't on purpose for me. I, you know, I was eating to my appetite. I wasn't restricting anything. I was having three great meals a day and maybe on weekends it was a little more, but it was just dramatically far too little for what I needed. And the reason I'd looked at it was because my energy, I was looking for ways to improve my energy. And of course, as soon as I increased what I was eating, I felt better, which was hysterical from a nutritionist. I mean, lol. So it happens to the best of us, which means it's partly just bringing awareness and consciousness to what you're consuming. And if you're not trained in nutrition, which you're, you know, you know, might be if you're a practitioner, but if you're not having someone who is actually look at that for you as well. And certainly for me, I'm thinking of another client. This is probably a, 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 an issue that we would see most commonly for women. Like there's a diet culture. We're fed so many stories through the media about how to eat to look a certain way. It's definitely not as common with men, but it definitely happens with men. And again, sometimes it's on purpose and sometimes it's by accident. I'm just thinking of a particular client of mine who would be, I think it was late 60s 
at the time that he came to see me, but he was very active. Like he would surf every day, he did qigong every day, he'd go for a walk every day. And he'd been in and out of neurologists' offices and seen the doctor and had all the blood tests. And he was his symptoms were, there was a few, but um, the big ones were feeling dizzy and lightheaded. Um, and also like his, he was struggling with energy a bit, even though he was really active, um, he was kind of pushing himself through it. And he was basically having two meals a day. And one of them was like a smoothie with a bunch of superfood powders and it didn't even have protein powder. And then he had a really great dinner, but like on top of his activity and his general body needs without that activity, he was consuming like 25% of like what he really needed to thrive. And, you know, I mean, I appreciate that the allopathic medical system is what it is, but no one had bothered looking at his diet to see that ultimately the problem lay with the fact that he wasn't eating enough. And so this is your sign if you haven't had someone review a food journal for you or you don't actually know like how much protein you should be having each day, how many carbs, how much fat, you know, what that should look like, that maybe it's a good idea to book a session and have someone look at that for you Mm -hmm. because you could be doing yourself a huge disservice by not nourishing yourself enough. And I would say for women, this is a big factor when it comes to hormonal issues as well. I mean, it stresses the nervous system, it impacts fertility, um, all of that kind of thing. So definitely eating enough is a big one that we want to make sure you've got right, especially getting enough protein. So that would probably be the number one I see all the time. Mm. Um, Nat, what's the next one that you see? Yeah. I Before I move on to the next one, I just wanted to piggyback off that, something that we were just chatting about before we hit record, which is that I'm actually a fan of, you know, people tracking their food at some point in their life to have an understanding of what actually visually does enough food look like. I think that sometimes um, in the holistic health space where we're often promoting, you know, intuitive eating and and not being so neurotic with calories and counting, et cetera, that sometimes the you know, everything's gets everything gets thrown out. Whereas I really do feel that in my experience, um, that actually it's not always a bad thing to do a period of tracking to allow you to visually see for yourself and in a lived body experience how it feels, what adequate food looks like for you, what adequate protein looks like for you, um, and then let that go. I think sometimes we make tracking or counting um, means something that it doesn't have to Mm. um, and that I think there's a time and a place for using that as a tool if you're comfortable with it. Um, But of course, you know, another great way is just to have a practitioner do that for you. Mm. So number two is, um, and I guess this mostly relates to gut health is spreading, like people spreading their food out over meals and snacks rather than just three bigger meals. So I'm talking about the person who might have, you know, breakfast and then like a snack one to two hours later and then have a bit of like pre-lunch lunch lunch, and then like pick at food for their lunch but not really have a proper meal. And then maybe the kids come home from school and you're like making their snacks and it's a bit of a one for me, one for them. Or maybe you're like going between work and your next activity and you might pick at something again or graze on something or get into the peanut butter jar or the rice crackers or whatever it might be. 
and then um, have dinner. Um, and what that tends to do is not allow enough time for your digestive system to actually rest and digest. And we have something called a migrating motor complex that is in our small intestine that helps to kind of sweep sweep food and food contents and bacteria out of the small intestine through the digestive tract that allows us to prevent to an extent things like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which we talked about literally last episode. It prevents that from occurring or recurring if it's been something that you've struggled with in the past. And it also means that your body has a chance to divert its resources to other things that aren't just digestion. Um, And also that when you are eating, that you are just eating and that you are just digesting rather than kind of doing a lot of different things at once. So whether the right formula for you is three meals and a snack or just three meals or some variation of that, that's a little bit of season of life, you know, health context related. Um, But I think one thing I'm not generally a fan of for really anyone outside of maybe someone that is um, breastfeeding or managing early pregnancy nausea or just has, you know, really high energy needs because they're an athlete or they've something, some other variation of that. I just don't think grazing constantly is a, is a great idea. And, and sometimes I think people get drawn towards it for the point of, oh, like, I'll just have a little bit here, but I will skip that meal. And what I've seen over, over, um, the years of practicing is that when you are eating less food but more frequently, for a lot of people, you can end up actually eating more than if you just sat down and had three meals and also feel more satiated from the three bigger meals versus lots of little ones. So, yeah, person dependent, but I think generally speaking, if you're a a grazer, then it it yeah it can be of benefit to try and turn that habit around and just see how you feel. Mm, I can certainly say from you know obviously we know this academically and on paper, but also my own experience with this you know when I went through my mold journey, I was so nauseous all the time. I could hardly eat anything, and I could really only eat very small amounts. And so I you know I suppose that's another example of a season where you can't sort of follow what's what would be considered best practice. Um, But coming out of that and correcting my cortisol, my liver function and my gut function, and I was able to return to having three proper meals and really just conscientiously crafting those. First of all, it made a huge difference to my energy, but I was able to easily go between meals without needing a snack. And really it was when I maybe didn't put as much time and effort into my meal that I would you know, then want a snack because I'd missed out. I either hadn't eaten enough or I'd missed out on one of the macros that I really needed. And so, yes, there are lots of exceptions to this, but generally speaking, if you're having three really curated meals, so balanced in a way that serves your health goals and your season of life, you shouldn't actually have any desire to snack. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have one now Mm. and then, like some, it might be someone's birthday and there's something fun up for grabs, that's okay. But what we're talking about is, you know, what you do every single day that makes a difference to your health. And we know that from a health perspective, it's better to have 
just proper meals and having a nice gap between them so that the gut can sort itself out. Mm. Um, Now, another thing that we see, and I'm sure any prackies listening to this too, would see is people just cutting out food groups or whole macronutrient classes based on something they've read or heard. Now, obviously we're in your ear holes every week telling you our, you know, our thoughts, but of course what we're saying is very general and broad mm. and may not necessarily apply to you. And we couldn't say that unless we'd actually seen you. And I've seen this amongst friends. I've seen this amongst family. I think it's very natural human behavior to sort of read something online or hear it on a podcast, or you find out that a friend has just made this change in their diet um, and they've had really good results to then immediately want to adopt what what sounds like it makes sense. And, you know, sometimes it might also be really beneficial, but what I'm definitely noticing is human beings often will make these haphazard choices without knowing for sure whether they're a right fit for them with mixed results uh, because of that. You know, sometimes it might work, sometimes it doesn't make a change, sometimes it can make things worse. You know, it might be a food intolerance of some sort or it might be cutting out carbs entirely or it might be cutting out animal protein entirely or it might be going completely fat-free Whatever it is, um, that's definitely something that usually doesn't end well for people, particularly if they are ignoring their own body's messages. So I think it's okay to experiment with yourself as well, although I think it's much better to work with someone who's trained in this area. But what I do find is people will often make a decision to cut out X, Y, and Z And then they actually over time feel worse, but because they've decided that this is the way, they don't course correct and that can end up causing them problems as well. So it really does come down to the individual. And I know that's so frustrating to hear because wouldn't it be nice just to have a roadmap that worked for everyone? Um, What I will say is there are guiding principles that we operate from that are, you know, we're all the same species, but depending on your season of life, you know, what your health goals and what your health challenges are, things might look a little bit different um, at certain times during that journey. And now I know you wanted to say something about that too. Yeah, I think one thing that I have noticed um, in myself and in clients over the years is that there's a really, there's a temptation to to think or to buy into the belief that just because one way of eating worked for you once, that it's always going to be the right way. And I know that I personally experienced this many, many years ago when I think it was when I initially switched to, it was like a low carb paleo style diet, right? And it was absolutely the right move for me at the time. And it was monumentally life-changing for me in that, in that regard. And that's perhaps why I held on to it so much. And then as I moved into a season where I was doing a lot, I was starting to get back into a lot more exercise. I was had a lot more stress in my life. There was just a lot more going on. And um, I was still trying to do that same thing because I was like, but it just, I remember when I did this, like I, I lost weight, I lost fluid, I felt so much clearer, I had more energy, like everything changed me in a really positive way. 
And then I was doing the exact same thing, but getting absolutely nowhere. But because I had held on to so tightly that initial experience I had with that way of eating, it blinded me to the fact that actually like things can change and the context of like your life, but also your cells and the environment in which they're in and your hormones and lots of different things can mean that the strategy actually needs to shift. Um, And so what I always encourage people to do is to keep an open mind about what perhaps is going to work for them at different stages and be less attached to the labels and past experiences and more curious or open or interested in well, what can I try next or what can I vary or what can I, um, you know, just change, I guess, a little bit to match my situation right now. And that comes back to what you're saying, Ames, about it really can be so beneficial with how much noise there is out there to have someone that has that perspective and that knowledge and that expertise and is also objective to help you to find that next step. Otherwise, you know, I many of us will just continue doing what we know. Or if we don't know, then like you were just saying, we will do what someone else has said or experienced as the right thing for them and then beat ourselves up or think that our body is broken when it's not the answer. And I think that's one of the saddest things is when women come to us or men feeling like, their body is broken because X, Y, or Z worked for Sally and they've tried it and it's just nothing's working for them. And often it's that, well, that strategy isn't the right one for you. And and maybe the right strategy for you doesn't have a neat, clean label like keto or paleo or vegan or um, low carb. Maybe it is something that is completely unique and therein lies the benefit of having individualized care. Mm, I love that. And that could be applied across so many different facets of life and health for sure. Um, And it is really having that non-attachment piece that's important and maybe a second set of eyes, especially if it's not working, your body's not broken. It's Mm. not that you just need to just go harder and double down on your efforts. It's probably that it's not the right direction to go in. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, I even think that's true for practitioners. I know that we have some practitioners that listen to this podcast as well. And just because you you have the knowledge doesn't mean you always have the ability to step outside the situation and reassess or realign. I think there's no shame in actually reaching out for help or a different perspective um, when like even if you you know all of the things, it's really a lot of us know a lot, but it's the doing part that can sometimes get us tripped up. So I really just wanted to call that out in case you're sitting there being like, oh, well, I should know or I should know how to figure this out for myself. Yeah. You know, so what? Ask for help. Get a different perspective. Yeah, I love that. A, a second set of eyes and a, and a brain is so, so helpful. Mm. Um Now, another thing that we do see very commonly, and I think this is almost universal, (laughs) is drinking coffee before breakfast. And don't feel like I'm pointing the finger because, man, I did that for a period of my life. And let me, yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's one of those things that I think, again, it's like if you're doing it, 
just very rarely, if it's a rare occasion, well, that's not going to have as much of an impact on you as you, as if you were doing it most days or every day. But the thing is with human beings and our body, I guess our natural propensity for efficiency and just finding a groove is that we love to create effortless habits. So once we start doing something one way, it often ends up being a habit that gets formed accidentally, even if we never intended it for it to become a habit. And I think drinking coffee, you know, as soon as you wake up is one of those things. Like you might have had a late night at work, or maybe you've been up with the kids or your dog was sick like mine was last night and vomited everywhere, you know. Poor Lily. <laughs> um, you know, you know, you're like, oh, I just need some help to get through today. Now there are better ways, by the way. In fact, can we put that in our overflow ideas list, Nat? Alternatives to coffee when you need a coffee. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. We have such an overflow of ideas, friends. I'm not sure. We'll have to be podcasting from the grave because we've got so much we want to talk about. <laughs> sure. But anyway, coffee before breakfast. The reason it's an issue, there's a few reasons. Um, perhaps the primary one and the why, the reason why Nat and I are always telling our clients to change this habit is there's a couple of things that happen in your body when you drink caffeine or caffeinated beverages on an empty stomach. So the big one really is it stimulates cortisol. Now, cortisol is already very high in the morning. And first of all, you're actually not going to get as much benefit from that coffee as if you delay it a little bit further. But on an empty stomach, when you've just woken up, you've fasted overnight, your blood sugar is the lowest it's ever going to be, the increase in adrenaline and cortisol causes sugar dumping from the liver. And it's effectively like having a bag of lollies for breakfast and you haven't even eaten anything yet. So it destabilizes blood sugar, insulin. That's going to ruin your energy for the rest of the day, no matter how healthy your breakfast is going to be or the rest of your meals. Um, you're going to be playing catch up. You're also sort of flogging that cortisol where it's already at its peak, which means you're actually going to have crashes later in the day, which is why people go from having one coffee a day to two to three. And then next minute they're having six a day because they're needing more and more to actually lift them up in that artificial sense. Now, there is a knock-on effect because of the impact of the elevated adrenaline and cortisol onto hormones, onto your nervous system, blood sugar regulation, weight, you know, body composition, active tissue mass, uh, gut health, like so many different things are impacted by having coffee on an empty stomach. So instead, and I know we've talked about this a hundred times already, and we'll probably talk about it a thousand times more. We recommend if you're going to have a caffeinated beverage like coffee to at least have breakfast in your tummy first and, you know, give it an hour to an hour and a half after breakfast. And usually that's around mid morning for people. Usually your cortisols come down a bit. And so this will lift it back up and you'll get a bit more of a, an energy boost albeit artificial. I think there's better ways to get energy. If you're using uh, coffee for that, um, we should definitely talk. Yeah. But if you are someone who, and I'm one of these people, if you are someone who the first thing you want when you get up in the morning is like a nice, warm, yummy beverage, it's like a hug from the inside. Mm. There are other ways of getting that. So I'll have a cup of tea, but I'll have a majority, which is, you know, 
caffeine-free low in tannins, or I'll make a decaf coffee. If I really want that taste of coffee, I'll have that. Of course, you can have dandelion coffee. There's a hundred different alternatives, but having breakfast before your coffee rather than the other way around is, um, is the way to go. And having coffee first thing in the morning is one of the biggest mistakes I think we see often, so often. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it a mate? I honestly have had so many clients where all we've done to try and improve their energy as a first step um, is delay their coffee. And it can be an absolute game changer for the rest of your day, which mm-hmm. is so, so good. And, you know, I know for me, I've I've definitely been through seasons where I would wake up and just have coffee on an empty stomach. But like you, I've now I more so often do like an organic decaf or a decaffeinated chai or something like that as my first drink of the day because I'm not giving up the ritual but just trying to skip the caffeine. But every now and again, you know, if I don't listen to my own advice and I have coffee on an empty stomach, not only do I struggle to like maintain my energy levels through the day, but I also struggle to focus. I feel more anxious and I feel less able to actually get myself back in my nervous system um, Mm. throughout the day as well. So I think it really is worth the delay. It really like makes a big difference. Also, when you're talking about things that we've had for breakfast in the past, or like you mentioned lollies, do you know, as a teenager, I used to have um, like those sour lollipops, the sherbet lollipops for breakfast. <laughs> Isn't that so bad? I was the world's worst eater, friends. I used to have lollies for breakfast, a bread roll with like nothing on it. It was just white bread for lunch. And then I'd have like hot chips on the way home from school. And then I'd probably maybe have an okay, decent dinner. I just... I was not. <laughs> I I always joke that I've gotten all of my processed food eating out of my system before I was about 15 and then I just haven't really endeavoured much down that road since. So <laughs> just good times. I don't know how I concentrated in school. I did all right, but oh, fueled you. by sugar, friends, fueled by sugar. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like when you're young, you can get away with that so much more, which also allows bad habits to endure, I would say. Like everyone, you know, has sort of probably cut corners or done things that they knew weren't great for them, but got away with it in the beginning. Um, But trust me, it does catch up to you. (laughs) Sure does. There's no way in hell I could ever do that again. Like it just, yeah. Anyway, I digress. So the last mistake, which kind of, um, tails nicely onto the drinking coffee before breakfast is actually for a lot of people, I think a mistake can be delaying breakfast until much later in the day. And I would arguably say that this is um, certainly more of a problem for females over males. Um, and I know that majority of you listening to this podcast um, are women. So I'm I'm just speaking to that at the moment. And when we say delaying breakfast until later in the day, what like what I mean by that at least is like when you're waking up at, you know, 6 or 7 a.m., but then you're not having any breakfast until like 10 or 11 a.m., I think really the 
the most beneficial thing that you can do from a nervous system and a hormone perspective is try and have something to eat within the first kind of 60 to 90 minutes of waking. Some people will say sooner than that. You might even say that, Amy, like you can um, weigh in, in, in on this yourself, but some people say within 30 minutes. But I think mm-hmm. a sweet spot I've seen is around the within 60 minute mark. And it, you know, it's, I think, where my concern comes in is a lot of the time the people who are doing this the most are the ones that it should work the least for. So the people delaying breakfast until later in the day are either the ones that are really stressed or busy or have a lot of cortisol in their system that we need to calm down or they're the people who are dealing with anxiety or mood issues or they're the ones that have um, – high histamine issues as well. And and we know that histamine um, increases with fasting and increases with cortisol. And I think that if the, the other thing to this is also people who are trying to lose weight by pure willpower. And sometimes a strategy that's implemented is, well, if I just delay and delay, delay my breakfast or my first meal of the day, then I won't eat as much through the day. And for some people, I'm I'm not going to lie, sometimes that strategy does work for a period of time, but more often than not, it just leads to overeating and overcompensating later in the day. And I think the far more effective thing to do is have a high-protein, high-fiber breakfast within 60 to 90 minutes of waking up and watch how that changes your, you know, your mental clarity, your energy stability, your behaviors, your choices around food later in the day. And I think it 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 works actually a lot more in the natural rhythm of our of our circadian rhythm, of our, our of our natural cortisol peaks and and dips. Um and I know you probably have more to say to that, my circadian loving friend. So I'll let you weigh in. <laughs> Well, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because again, it comes back to what do we know academically is the best thing for the human body, but also what do we know that's going on with you as an individual that is getting in the way of you following that? And certainly for me, with the cortisol and the toxicity and the inflammation, thought of food first thing in the morning made me feel sick. So yes, I always say to clients, you've got to eat within an hour of waking. Ideally, that's sort of within an hour of sunrise too. Like obviously correcting people's circadian rhythms is a big part of realigning their physiology to the way that it's actually designed in terms of genetic expression. But it's not helpful if someone can't stomach food in the morning to say force down a breakfast of, you know, this much protein and whatnot. So there are, of course, strategies that Nat and I would employ to help bridge the gap between mm-hmm. where you are and where you ideally would want to be. And that can look different for everybody. Um, so if this is you, if I'm, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I just, I just don't have any appetite until I feel personally attacked. <laughs> yeah, no, please don't. And and I was in your shoes as well for quite some time. And it was, you know, it was a real effort um to deal with those underlying issues, but just take that as a sign that there are underlying issues that need addressing. It could be your nervous system regulation. That's an issue. Could be a digestive thing. It could be any number of things. And usually it's 
usually it's a combination of a few things actually that all kind of come together. So, you know, again, don't try and force yourself after hearing this to eat breakfast within an hour if that makes you want to throw up or you just feel nauseous at the at the thought of it. But know that given that's how we're designed, if your body is not responding in the same way, that's a sign something's going on for you that needs a bit of TLC. Yeah, I love that because I do think that a lot of people don't think about there being a meaning behind waking up and not feeling hungry for like most of the morning. I think a lot of us just go, oh, great, that's convenient. I don't need to eat. Whereas when you and I hear that, we're like, hmm, interesting. Like Mm -hmm. that's a sign of something underlying and we would start to chip away at working through that and on that. And I, you know, to circle back to something I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, we're both a big fan of intuitive eating. However, until you're in a place of more balanced health and you have, you can also make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. I think intuitive eating can be a slippery slope that doesn't always end in what is healthiest for you. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that we're saying your intuition inside of you is wrong, but sometimes your physiology, physiology or your biochemistry is behaving in a certain way that is, I guess, sending you signals that might not necessarily be where it's most helpful for you to align your food choices with, Mm. but getting you in a state of health and also a state of informed eating then allows a beautiful platform to eventually move into a place where absolutely intuitive eating is the best, most beautiful, you know, longer-term strategy. But it's also okay that in order to get there, you you need to invest in some help or to just see things a little bit differently to allow yourself to get to a place where those messages that you're being sent are um, are very aligned with what is healthiest for you. Mm, I'm so glad you said that. I've had that conversation a fair bit over the last couple of years about intuitive eating and how those messages can get misinterpreted based on the, f- the feedback from the body. So thank you for saying that. I think that's a really important conversation to have because, again, that can throw people off when they have yeah. that lack of appetite and they think, oh, good, I'll just listen to my body and not eat. <laughs> yeah, or I'm really, I've had a really bad sleep and I'm and I'm stressed and intuitively I really feel like a big fat croissant and a coffee for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, Chocolate croissant. But also yeah. that would... <laughs> maybe make your soul feel a little bit okay in that moment, but you betcha that's going to make you feel worse and perpetuate the exact cycle that you're trying to get out of. And so, (laughs) yeah, I'm, I'm smiling and giggling a little bit at this because I think that again, I, sometimes I find this frustrating that I can see all sides and that I'm often sitting in the middle of like, you know, this intuition and this, and this um, spiritual space and this, yeah, in, intuition, but also just the the pragmatic, practical, you know, science side of the fact that, mm. you know, sometimes that's not quite like, you know, there's a middle ground here a little bit. Yeah. And I think that it's <laughs> it's very convenient sometimes to say that you're just listening to your intuition and you're just mm. eating intuitively. Um but I find that there just needs to be a little bit more nuance around that conversation to be able Mm. to get to a point where that is 
genuinely aligned with what is is actually in your best interest. And we're talking about what you're doing most of the time. I certainly have nothing against, um, you know, sometimes making decisions that aren't the healthiest um, when we're thinking of it in that very black and white body way. I think every now and again, you know, I too overindulge in something or have a food at at quote unquote the wrong time, but it's really what you're doing most of the time that makes Mm. most of the difference. And it's, as you were saying, Amy, the habits that you're forming, because those habits over time inform your biochemistry, which inform your behavior and influence your thoughts and your energy and how you show up and live your life. And so we're really trying to peel back the layers and go, okay, well, how do we make it so that you're not making all of these mistakes as your every day, that these are just rare things that you might sidestep and do, enjoy mm-hmm. it, and then move back to what you know is most in alignment with your version of healthy. Mm, I love that. So if if any one of these things is a mistake that you're doing, maybe you're making all of them, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> We have been there, but now that you know that this is not the ideal way to do it, you can go about starting to shift your habits. And please don't wait till January 1. Today is no. today is any to start. Agreed. Here, here. And please reach out to either of us um, and we're more than happy to help. Otherwise, we will be back in your ear holes again next week. We have a few fun episodes coming towards the end of the year if all works to plan. Um, Mm -hmm. And, of course, we're always open to answering your questions or taking your topic requests. And as as we've said earlier in the podcast, we have a whole overflow of them. But Mm -hmm. um, we're very much looking forward to planning some new episodes for you coming into the new year. Look forward to seeing you guys then. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Holistic Health Podcast with Amy and Nat. If you loved this episode, then make sure you share it on Instagram and give us a tag. If you'd like to help us spread the holistic health message far and wide, then we would also so appreciate it if you left a rating and review. This helps us more than you know. And don't forget to come and say hi over on Instagram. See you next week.